Virtue is not something that we typically talk about nowadays. Rex and I were talking about this during the Sunday school period, uh, reflecting on the fact how times they are changing. Uh, virtue, we talk about, you know, you need to learn math, you need to learn science, you need to be able to do equations, you need to be able to do your taxes, you've got to be faithful to your rela- to relationships around you, you've got to do all those things. But we don't teach children anymore about virtue what it is, how to cultivate it, how to develop it. I mean, it's a big topic throughout Western civilization going all the way back to the Greeks. If you were a philosopher in Greek times and ancient times in Peter's day, you would have a tract on virtue. It was just something that you had to have. It would be like a CV, you know, when you apply for a job. If you applied for a job at, uh, as a philosopher, they, they want to see your statement about virtue. What is it? How do you cultivate it? How do you teach it? to the next generation. And we have a number of lists of virtues in the Old and New Testament. Second Peter is one of those uh, lists. Galatians 5 is perhaps the one you're more familiar with, though there it is a list uh, that Paul calls the fruits of the Spirit. And you'll see some overlap between Galatians 5 and Second Peter 1. But this was important for the early Christians, and it's important for us. One of the things that Peter wants us to remember is virtue. We need to cultivate. We need to develop virtue. In fact, I mean, if you notice uh, what Peter ascribes to this list, it's, it's centrally important to our lives as Christians, developing these qualities. Without them, we are blind. With them, we go to heaven. Is that stark? of a contrast. And that's our theme for this morning. God gave us faith so that we might excel in every good virtue, in every excellent thing. It's one of the ironies of history that the decline of virtue, the decline of talking about and teaching about virtue is largely at the doorstep of evangelical Christians. We're so busy talking about faith that we forget. Well, God actually does call us to a moral life and talking about the moral life and moral qualities. It's not contrary to faith. It's it's actually the fruit of our faith. It's it's the reason which our faith was given to, to cultivate into us this sense, these characteristics which Peter says is to partake in the divine nature. So that's our theme uh, for this morning. First, we're going to look at the necessity of virtue, then the nature of virtue, and finally the result of these qualities, of these virtues. It's Mother's Day, so I, I came up with a, like a Mother's Day schema for, uh, for our outline for this morning. So three questions. Uh, do I have to? What do you want from me? And uh, why? Of course, the great question. Why should I? Okay, so do I have to? What do you want? And why should I? First of all, do I have to? The necessity of virtue. And the answer is yes. This is not a second blessing in the Christian life. Developing virtues, and the list here is right, uh, very clear for us. Knowledge, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Do I have to do these things? I'm saved. I have faith. 
Do I have to develop these other qualities, these other characteristics? And the answer is yes. They're fruits of faith. Consider the circumstances uh, that Peter describes for us. If you were to read the rest of Second Peter, it gets pretty dark pretty quickly. We've got angels and demons fighting over the world. We've got wolves in the church threatening to eat and consume the sheep. We've got heretics all over the place. We have got, uh, and by the way, the principal characteristics of these heretics is not that they've you know, gotten the subtleties of theology a little mixed up. It's not that they've kind of you know, denied maybe the, uh, you know, uh, this or that uh, clause of orthodoxy. Uh, the problem with these heretics is that they are p- preaching basic immorality. They're giving in to their lusts and they're saying it's okay because you're forgiven. You're forgiven, so you don't need to obey. You're forgiven, your body is a shell, your body isn't real, so do whatever you want with your body. They've got basic tenets of the Christian faith wrong. And amidst all of these dangers, what Peter says we need is virtue. A new age in the church, surrounded by enemies. But it it is these qualities, he says, that will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How does the church survive in this present age? How does the church survive amidst a culture that seeks to undo it? The church survives as faith produces moral excellence in the body. That's what the church needs. Moral excellence. And that sounds so backwards to us. We don't care about moral excellence. What we want is we want the church to be more savvy politically. If the church is going to survive, it needs to fight the way the world fights, through savvy political maneuvering. It needs to fight the way the world fights, by entertaining speeches on Sunday mornings. The church survives and flourishes through moral excellence, through these qualities. Notice the, neg- the negative. What happens if the church, if we as individuals lack these qualities? For whoever lacks these qualities is no- so nearsighted as to be blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You see, what Peter wants us to cultivate, the sense that he wants us to have is that, is that we're pursuing something future. We're pursuing something out there. We're pursuing Christ and his kingdom, which is only partially realized now in the church. We're pursuing future glory, future blessings, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what the church is pursuing. And what you need is 2020 vision. What you need is to be able, in order to pursue those things, is you need to see what's in front of you. You can't be blinded by your passions. He puts it up uh, previously in verse um, uh, 4. You have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We're pursuing something that is eternal and incorruptible. 
But we are surround, as we pursue it, we are surrounded by corruptible things. We are surrounded by disease and decay. We're surrounded by rust. If you've ever, you know, if you've got aluminum pots, some of you have probably aluminum pots or cast iron pots. And if you put a uh, rusted cast iron pot on top of a perfectly decent cast iron pot, the result is going to be two rusted cast iron pots. That rust is going to spread and contaminate that which is around it. Uh, aluminum, the same way. Stainless steel, you're okay. But for those of us who are working with, you know, older materials, that rust spreads and corrodes everything that it touches. You've got to keep it clean. Peter is using precisely this analogy to talk about our lives as we live those lives in the midst of the world. What do you need to keep those pots clean? What do you need to keep the cast iron well-oiled and seasoned so that rust won't penetrate it? The answer for Peter is virtue. We need to supplement our faith, as he puts it, with virtue. Well, that raises a question. I thought faith was enough. All I need is faith, right? Is what Peter's saying that faith isn't enough? Faith saves. And so if I want to be saved, if I want to persevere to the end, what I need is faith. Well, Peter's not really denying that. But he's reminding us of the same things that Paul reminds us of in Galatians 5, that James reminds us of in James chapter 2, that there is a counterfeit faith. There is a faith that's belief only. There's a faith that's intellectual only that doesn't follow Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. There is a counterfeit faith that doesn't result in fruits. And such faith is like a good and healthy root on a tree that won't produce fruit. We have a vivid picture of what Jesus does with a healthy tree that refuses to produce fruit. Remember how he cursed the fig tree. He curses the fig tree to show that though, though outwardly everything looks okay, inwardly something is wrong with that fig tree. It doesn't have genuine faith. Genuine faith inevitably results in fruit, Paul tells us in Galatians 5. Faith in Peter is a divine power given to us which inevitably results in these qualities, in these virtues. Verse 4, starting in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through God's power at work in us, and we would say, we would call that divine power which is at work in us faith. Through God's power, which is to say the faith that he has given to us, we have received all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have good roots that go deep into the soil and that can draw up the nourishment that the plant needs to bear good fruit. And so our goal as Christians, and this isn't a denial of salvation by faith alone, but it's the next step. Our goal as Christians is to abound in faith, and as we abound in faith, we abound in these qualities, and we're called to cultivate them, to make every effort that they might grow, just like you would make every effort in your gardens to make sure that they have the nutrients that they need to bear good fruit, 
So you have been provided divine power. And so we as Christians make every effort to make use of the power that we have been given by the Spirit through faith that we might grow in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Make every effort. These things are necessary for us. They are not ornaments. They are not extras. It's not the bonus footage at the end of the DVD. These are, this is part of the main storyline. You need these things to grow in faith. They are the inevitable fruit of faith. They are a sign and witness to your faith. And they are the way in which God grows our faith to preserve us until He comes again. You need these things. And so the encouragement to us is to make every effort to grow them. When was the last time we even thought about these things? When was the last time we even thought about virtue? I mean, I don't know about your family, but we have the children's book of virtues on the shelf, and it is collecting massive amounts of dust. I don't even know what it says. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's been sitting on the shelf for all these years. But virtue isn't for children. It's the way in which we grow in maturity. And when was the last time we made any effort to grow in knowledge, in self-control? I mean, the first step here is to start making an effort. How much time do we put into our houses and our yards and preparing for our children's futures and our careers? We make every effort to grow in those things. And Peter is reminding us that we need to make every effort to grow in these qualities. Lest we be blind, corrupted, useless in the kingdom of God. Well, what qualities are these? What do we actually have to do? We've looked at, you know, do I have to? Yes. What, what do I have to do? Okay, so I'm, I'm convinced now I need to grow in this. What do I have to do? What are the virtues that are being uh, declared for us as useful? Uh, we can look at that question. This passage actually gives us some great insight into that. Uh, and you can look at it both generally and specifically. Okay, so you can look at the virtues, how Christians think about virtue in general and the specific virtues that Peter is trying to encourage us to cultivate here. So let's do both. Uh, we'll do general first, and we'll do it a little bit more robustly, and then we'll dive into what, is, what do each of these words mean, and how can I study it? Uh, what are we supposed to do? Well, generally considered, we need to first remember that virtue for Christians is always a function of divine power. It is always the result of divine power. You you cannot develop in virtue without developing in faith. The two go together. Now, we've already established the logic of that. Faith produces virtue. Virtue is the evidence of faith. Those two are tied together. You can see how deeply tied they are, even in Peter's own words. Supplement your faith with virtue. These virtues that he encourages us to cultivate They are a function of faith, and faith is resting in God's divine power. It's trusting Him as Savior and Lord. The first thing we have to do is believe. 
We have to believe in Jesus Christ. He is the example of divine godliness. He is the source of new life. He is the way in which we escape, as Peter puts it, the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We might be able to develop a bit of virtue, a fence for our sinful desires by simple worldly means, by you know, to-do lists, for self-control by, uh, uh, you know, computer filters to keep out uh, things that we shouldn't be seeing. You might be able to put a small fence around your soul in worldly ways, through worldly ways, but the true source of virtue comes from God who is the power, who, who, who defines what virtue is. We need faith. Our world is all about talking about how we flourish as human beings. And we want to flourish. We want humanity and, and uh, humanism, we might say, to flourish in this world. But we can't do it without faith in Jesus Christ. He is the source of human flourish. He is the root. And we have to be grafted in in order to grow and to flourish as human beings. You can't obtain this on your own. It's not just about getting things done. It's not about simple techniques and habits. Simple techniques and habits can help. But you have to be grafted into Jesus Christ to flourish, to grow in godliness, to become a partaker of the divine nature. The second general thing to consider is that first it flows from faith and divine power. Uh, It's not me on my own working these things out. It's God working through me by faith and drawing on the power that he has provided by faith to grow in these things. The second thing is, we need to see how interconnected all of these things are. Notice how Peter puts it. He uses a sorite, um, you know, this kind of ladder list. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, I'm already too high, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, brotherly affection, love. So he moves up the list, in ascending virtue. And the, the point is that these are all connected. Okay? They're all interrelated. It's a web. It's a nexus of characteristics and qualities that we need to be developing. And you can only develop them all at once. It's not steps along the way. It's a connection between these kinds of things. They're all fruits of faith. And you can only ascend in excellence in these things as you ascend in all of them. It's not like you can be uh, great at love and terrible at knowledge. Now, some of us have weaknesses in various areas. And the call to us, considering those weaknesses, maybe you are a, a real servant, okay? You're a real servant of Christ because you have an affection for people. You have an innate affection for everybody. Everybody's your brother. Everybody's your family, right? Well, you may be well-suited in those areas, but if you are to grow more excellent in that, what you need is knowledge. You need knowledge of Christ. This isn't just general knowledge. This isn't just general know-how. This isn't getting an MBA. This is, this is knowledge of Jesus Christ and His salvation. The knowledge of Scripture. Theological knowledge about God and why He's done what He's done and who He is and all these things. You need that to grow in brotherly affection. And you need brotherly affection to grow in knowledge. 
These things are all interconnected and intertwined. And so my encouragement to you is, is to pick one. Pick one that you think you're weak at, okay? Don't say to yourself, okay, I've got brotherly affection. I'm, I'm, a, great, I'm a great deacon. I'm a great uh, servant in the house of God. I've got love. Um, I suppose I have one of the fruits, so I don't need the others. You are to be a multi-fruited tree. Cultivate all of the fruits together. So pick one that you feel like is your weak spot. And grow in that. And watch how growing in that virtue supplements all of the virtues. More specifically, obviously we do not have time to go into each and every virtue here and really spell out all the nuances here. Concordance is actually really helpful. Uh, You can look up some of these words and find other Scripture passages that talk about it. It's limited, but it's helpful. It's a good place to start. Thinking about great examples, you're wondering, okay, how do I figure out what the Bible means about knowledge okay, or self-control? How am I supposed to grow in knowing what they're talking about? Well, think about good examples in Scripture of self-control, right? Or the lack of self-control. Go to Esau. Esau is a great demonstration of the lack of self-control. He traded his inheritance for a single meal. And Hebrews calls that nearsightedness. He did not have the virtue of self-control. And the result is he gave up his kingdom that was due him. Right? So go and look at these different figures. Go look at other passages and you could grow in your understanding of what I'm supposed to be doing for the kingdom of God. But just to give you a quick uh, definition of each of these things, knowledge we've already looked at. Knowledge uh, is, is not just knowledge in general, although God has spoken in His creation and in His Word. But specifically here, Peter wants us to understand the message of the Gospel, the message that is declared for us in the Scriptures. To grow in knowledge of that will produce every other kind of virtue. Self-control, again you have a gut instinct about what that is. It's not a mysterious world. It's your, it's your ability, as Paul puts it in our passage this evening, to be angry and yet not sin. You see, the, the call of Scripture is not don't be angry. Be a passionless, you know, Jedi. Uh, I desire nothing. That, that's not the call of Scripture. The call of Scripture is to feel everything you're supposed to feel, to have the passions you're supposed to have, to delight yourself in your spouse, to, to have all of these passions, but to keep them under control that you may not sin, to use them in the right way, to channel them in the right way. That mastery over your body, the Bible calls self-control. It has a lot to say about it. I would suspect uh, many of us could spend some time thinking about that one Steadfastness. Steadfastness is kind of the future corollary of of self-control. It's self-control extended or stretched like silly putty into the future. What we're doing is we're continuing on in the path that we have begun. We're pursuing the goal to which we have set ourselves, which in this case is the kingdom of God. Godliness. We use that term a lot. I heard it the other day. Uh, This is the most godly man I know. What is godliness? What does that mean? Godliness means looking like God. It means imitating Him. It means bearing the same qualities that God has. It's defined by loyalty to God, a loyalty that goes so deep that you become like Him. 
You become an imitator of Him. Brotherly affection. Again, we have a gut instinct of what that is. That's, that's familial love. It's the love that we celebrate on Mother's Day. You may have a great mother. You may have a not-so-great mother. But there is this part of you that loves your mother regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the history. There's this connection that exists by God's creation in families. And, and Peter is encouraging us to cultivate that affection, specifically with our families, but then also, of course, as Christians are wont to do, the church is your family. This is love and affection and service to one another. Grow in that. Grow in our ministry to each other. And then finally, the queen of the virtues for all Christians. Uh, in every virtue list, it's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these being love. Love. What is love? How does love differ from brotherly affection? Well, love is both deeper and broader. Okay? Love will go further. It will take you further than brotherly affection will, as we saw in Jesus Christ. Love dies for the individual. But it's also broader. Love isn't just for our family. It's not just for our friends. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Love will love even when it's not deserved. Just because it's love. These are the virtues that we're called to grow in, to excel in, to grow ever increasing in. But of course, the last and final question is, why should I? Uh, if, you are the type, uh, if you are the type of child when, uh, you're, when you asked, do I have to? And your mom said, yes, you have to. Uh, you know, there are two types of children now. There's those who will, okay, I'll do it. And the fact that I have to is enough. And then there's uh, the argumentative type, which was um, me. Well, give me some reasons why I have to, right? Well, Peter and God condescend to give us reasons why we have to. Reasons that it's actually good for us. He takes the next step. He sits us down and says, look, I know you don't want to do this. I know you, I'm sure you would do it because I asked. But uh, I know you don't want to. I know your heart is going somewhere else right now. Here's why I think you should desire these things. Here's why I think you should want to do these things. And he tells us very clearly the benefits, the results of pursuing these virtues. They are increasingly fruitful. Draw on the way we put it earlier they will lead to your flourishing as a human being in whatever circumstances you might find yourself. There is no circumstance that can assail you that will be too big, too burdensome, too restrictive to prevent your flourishing. Okay? So we have a tree that's right next to our house. Uh, it's right next to our house. And you would think that our, we have a stone foundation, and you would think that this foundation would be strong enough to prevent the tree from, you know, growing into our house. But it's not. Uh, and if you have, you know, cast iron pipes or you have, you know, a concrete foundation, you have a tree next to it, you know what happens. Those roots, uh, it's, the tree is so full of life, so, it's so determined to flourish 
that those roots will grow into anything it touches. It'll consume anything around it. And if I left my house just the way it is for 50, 60 years, it would be green, right? Um, We actually used to have a green roof in our church because life finds a way, right? And it will flourish when uh, it finds just the right amount of soil and water to thrive. You have divine power. By faith, the power of God is at work in you to bring about new creation. That new creation is defined by these virtues. This is what godliness is. This is what it is to be, to partake of the divine nature. Peter isn't saying you're going to become gods. He's not saying that this is a process of divination. What he's saying is that through virtue you become a partaker of the divine nature. That is, you become an imitator of God. You look like how God looks. You are holy as He is holy. And the result is, is that we flourish, both now and in the age to come. Notice how Peter puts it. He puts it negatively um, in verse 8. If you lack these qualities, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the other flip side of that is, of course, that by having these qualities, you are fruitful and effective. You want to be a better Christian. You want to be more fruitful in the kingdom. It's not about finding the right niche in the church to serve. It's not about finding, it's not taking a spiritual gifts test and finding out how can I be more useful. The primary thing that we need to develop if we are going to grow as useful members of the church are these virtues. Knowledge, self-control, love, brotherly affection, steadfastness. You need these things to be useful and effective. You may be the most gifted speaker and teacher in the world, but if you lack self-control, you're going to take it out on your audience. If you lack perseverance, you're going to give up. If you lack love, you're going to feed upon the sheep with your words rather than feed the sheep. You need these qualities to be useful and effective. It's not about skills. It's about virtue. That's the source. That's the power behind ministry in Christ's church. So you need them now, and they're useful in the the now. They help us to be useful and effective. They help us to persevere to the end. If you have self-control, you're able to survive when the world throws at you every single temptation, many of which seem good. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasing to the eye and gave wisdom. Wisdom isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to eat beautiful fruit. It's a bad thing to break the law of God. And it's self-control that helps us to be able to see the fruit and the beauty of the fruit and say, God has not given this to me to partake of to wait for God's timing. You need these things to persevere. You need these things to be useful. But the real uh, encouragement here, the wonderful promise, and notice that Peter begins with, he has granted to us precious and very great promises. What is the promise? In this way, that is, by developing and uh, and growing in these virtues, in this way, you will be richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fruit of all this is heaven itself. The fruit of all this 
is the inheritance that we have received that is laid up for us by Jesus Christ. Peter puts it differently in 1 Peter 1. In 1 Peter 1, he says that you have an inheritance that is promised and protected. Okay? No one can take it away. Well, what if I leave? What if I abandon the inheritance? Peter says, no, you yourselves are guarded by faith for this inheritance. Faith, faith as it flourishes in bountiful fruit, is the means by which God secures for us this inheritance. It's the only way you can keep walking and survive surrounded by so many enemies. Well, what do we do with all this? How do we grow in virtue? What am I supposed to do? Well, we've given a couple of lines throughout uh, this time together in Second Peter. One is to start making an effort. <laughs> That's the first step, right? Any project, you, you got some, maybe you got some summer projects. Any project is taking the first step, going out and finding where the pickaxe is and just start hammering away. You've got to just start doing it. Make every effort. Uh, that's the first step. If you believe in Jesus Christ and the power of God is at work within you, then you have the ability to start moving forward and making efforts in developing moral excellency in your life. So start taking steps. But the main encouragement that Peter would have for us is to remember that these qualities that we have are already abundantly displayed for us in Jesus Christ. Okay? Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Later on in 2 Peter 3, he will say that these qualities, these commandments, he'll say, remember the commandments of your Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles. What Peter is doing is he's pointing us to the fact that there's no mystery here. There's no searching that has to be done. The things that he's encouraging us to develop are things that we already know about and are perfectly displayed for us through Jesus Christ's Son. So start studying the lives of virtuous men, of virtuous women, virtuous mothers and fathers. Start studying the lives and the character of good people in ages past and find in Christ the primary exemplar of that. Christ is endowed with every excellent virtue. He excels in them. In fact, He so overflows with them that He can share with us and suffer no lack. The encouragement from Peter to us, grow in these things by growing in our faith in Jesus, by looking to Him as the author and perfecter of our faith, and finding in Him the example for our lives. Let's try to do that throughout the course of the next several weeks, and the, throughout the course even of our lifetime. After all, Peter says we are to grow in these things increasingly. It never stops, because it never needs to because we have laid up for us in heavenly places abundant store of all these things. Perfect Savior, Lord, God, Jesus, our elder brother in the faith. Let's pray.